Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel Clark and Adam Balderstone to talk about Strange Tales of Song Ling. This is our new uh, RPG inspired by Strange Tales from a Chinese Studio by Pu Song Ling and by movies and books that are also inspired by it. Uh, if anybody's seen A Chinese Ghost Story or Painted Skin, those are films that are, are based on the same source material. So, um... So yeah, so I should mention uh, Adam is the editor, and and Joel play tested a lot with us. I think are you, I listed you as a play tester, correct, Joel? Did I? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, you listed me and the other two play testers that I was uh, working with too. Did you, so. you you ran some games of it, right? Was that? Oh yeah, man, okay. impressed. It was super intuitive for the record, and a lot of fun. Actually, I think the YouTube video of me doing that is still up. So uh, further viewing for everybody. Oh, that's right. You know what? I can I could probably link it in the podcast below. Uh, you know, that was back when we had a uh, Crystal's equipment. She has a way better mic so. set up uh, than I do, so yeah, it was a really nice mic. So the sound quality is really good in that, <laughs> unlike this version of my voice, which is terrible. So, and before we go on, I want to just mention it is at Drive Through RPG right now as a PDF for nine ninety nine, so people can go check it out. I'll link to it below the episode. It's going to be out in print probably in about a month. I'm just getting the cover file prepared basically so once that's all set it'll go to the printer and if the proof's okay it'll be out uh but the pdf is available now and it's it's only 10 bucks so uh so yeah so i don't know what do you guys how, how should we start this discussion how do we how, how what are we going to talk about at the beginning i mean obviously we want to know what inspired you to make strange tales of song Ling and what you wanted it to do so i think what originally started it was when i was working on ogre gate I was using Strange Tales from a Chinese Studio a lot as a sort of adventure prompter. Like I would read, I would read one or two of the stories in there, and that would almost always give me an idea for an adventure. And and then that just became its own thing, where I just got really into Strange Tales, and I started doing this thing on the blog, where I I tried to game Strange Tales every day. So I did one story, I think it was one to three stories a day from the penguin edition of the of the book and i i just basically tried to turn whatever was in those stories into a monster or an adventure and so some of them some of the entries were just like magic items some of the entries were monsters some of them were like actual full adventures like saffron creek was actually an adventure that was in that blog entry series originally that's where that came from that was one of the few that i was able to port into the actual strange tales book um and uh, though I had to make a lot of adjustments, obviously, because it was done for Ogregate, it wasn't done for the new system. And then I started working on something called the Constables, which was gonna—it I, I, was gonna be sort of like a stab at this using Ogregate. I think I can't quite remember. I sent you guys the document, but I haven't looked at it in a long time. But that was, I think, when I really started to do it. And then, like, basically a week later, I think I just decided because adam you had been running me through the Maldvay system if i don't know yes, if you remember correct. yeah so so adam was running Maldvay. Yeah, yeah, dungeons and dragons bx to give uh, another name for it there yeah. to people i always and, hear it called what Maldvay basic is what i usually hear it called yeah yeah me too. and and so anyways i hadn't played you know uh, bx in ages and 
I had also been fielding a lot. Like Ogregate did a lot of things well, and I and and it did a lot of things the way I wanted them to. But one of the difficulties I would sometimes hear about from people was how complicated it was, or how you know how lengthy character creation was, how how difficult it was to juggle all the different things. And I was thinking, well, if I'm going to do horror, I don't want people to have that same sense of complexity. So let me try to kind of like make a more Maldvay version of Ogregate. And yeah, there's nothing worse than a game where you die all the time, where making a character is is a chore. That's yeah. like the wor- one of the worst game design combinations. <laughs> yeah. So so the big changes were, you know, the Ogre. I don't know off the top of my head how many pages the Ogregate system rules are, but the the rules chapter is pretty lengthy, and the rules chapter in this is like what two pages? I think like maybe yeah. one and a half pages, and character creation is basically four or five pages and that's because we have four paths that are like character classes and you know the bulk of the book is like monsters and stuff and adventures and things like that and the gm section so uh so one of the first things that we did when we were working on it was to the point that adam made was we timed character creation to make sure people were able to get back into the game in a, in a certain period of time. We didn't want people like spending half a day making a character. Like you, you yeah. could easily do with Ogregate if you wanted to. Do you know what I mean? You yeah, could... when, I, when I play tested, I specifically asked the players I was I was working with, to, you know, how's the character generation? I was like, great, fine. So. I can't you timed it. That's so clever. I never thought of that. That's actually, I did that for this and I did it for Righteous Blood, uh, Ruthless Blades when we were working on that. Except for that one, I timed the combat. And so... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it might be worth it to go through and time everything, but I felt like the important thing in this game was, number one, we knew how quick combat was in this game already just by playing it, Mm. but I really wanted to see how quickly people were making characters, and so I timed it every time I ran a playtest. And then when I did Righteous Blood, I did the same thing for combat because I wanted combat in that to be super fast, and so I wanted to know what my times were. Huh? What was your normal time for character gen in this system? Out of curiosity, um, I'm trying to. Uh, it's been a while since we did this, but it, but it was. I, mean, I think I was trying to keep it under ten minutes, but I could be wrong. I think that was my goal. That that sounds 10. plausible yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think with a little experience, you can get way faster than that too, because you it, like from my experience, it really does guide you through very nicely, which a lot of systems don't do that. They make you leap around. Uh, but this one's this one's very much like very linear, and that's something that's very nice in character yeah. gen. Yeah, the longest part is just allocating the skill points that they give you. Really, that that I believe is the longest part, and coming up with any flavor details about the character that you need. Um, yeah, even the skill allocation, it's it's somewhat guided a guided yeah. process. It's not just here's a huge pile of it's points, a, put them wherever. So it, it goes pretty quickly. Yeah, like Ogregate, that can take a long time because you got to get the skills, and you got to apply the system that we have in place for spending the points, and then Primary, and then you fi- yeah, and then you find oh, but I wanted this technique, so I got to go back and do this, and so <laughs> yes. so so this yeah. yeah, this gets around a lot of that. This, but but again, this has a the feel of this is totally different. It's a lot lighter. It's 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 really meant to focus more on rulings and story and what's going on in the table. Do you know what I mean it's it's designed more for um, for monster of the week type adventures rather than like that sandbox style that Ogregate was designed for. So it's just a totally different vibe uh, in terms of running it. Um, yeah, but, that that the adventure design was an interesting departure. But I got to tell you. 
when I prepped for this, I prepped in a, ver in a, a more minimalized, but a, a much similar way that I'd prep like a point crawl. And whenever we were doing the investigation, when I was role when I was uh, playing with it, like playtesting it, it was similar. Like it felt open. It didn't feel like I was on like a roller coaster. It felt like I had choices to make, and those choices were significant. Oh, you mean like in the actual adventures themselves, like the yeah, and not only that, but like the way I prepped for the adventures, like they they ran in a sandboxy way, and, and like rather oh. they kind of kept the good parts of the sandbox without some of the because sometimes you can sort of over design a sandbox. And you're, you've got too much going on. It's too big, and it takes too long to prep. This set did a really good job of narrowing that down and providing like focus and direction. Yeah, it's like, like a. Like, I think I might even do. Do I call it a mini sandbox at one point? Like I do mention that an adventure is kind of like a sandbox. I think. But, I know like, I've called it that. Yeah. So I don't know if I took that from the text or not. But, I know. But yeah, I, 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 there's, there's, you feel like you have moving pieces because I, I played. I ran these adventures in the playtest, and I. I felt like, you know, oh, I can have this NPC doing this where the player dies or something. It's not like I, yeah, once again, there's not, it's not a track. It's like, well, how am I going to react to what they're doing? Yeah. Which is what I love to do when I'm a GM. Yeah, and, and I do, and, the, and a lot of the response we've gotten so far has been, people really seem to like the adventures, so I feel comfortable sort of talking in a positive way about them because... Yeah, we do have people asking for more adventures for this yeah. game already, so... And, uh, and so... Yeah, it's, it basically the idea is it's monster of the week. So I want you. I wanted, I wanted to move away because I was doing really deep sandbox stuff all leading up to this, which I like. But when I do horror, I don't tend to run horror that way, and I wanted to just have a completely different experience. Of I don't like when you're doing a full sandbox. It's like I don't know what the players are going to do <laughs> this session. I have no idea. So like you, you kind of scatter your prep over all of the various things that you think they could do, and that's wonderful but i also for horror i kind of wanted to be able to say no this adventure is going to be about dracula do you know what i mean like this yeah, you know yeah. and you, you won't encounter dracula in this game but i just mean like <laughs> you you know you want you have an idea in mind for what you want the players to deal with you know but once they get there they should be free to do whatever they want like i don't care i don't particularly care if players solve the adventure or if they just, you know, run around screaming for an hour and, and, and escape with, like, you know, the remnants of the party, as long as they engage the adventure, that's all I care yeah, about. I, I like that term you yeah. used in the text of how yeah. it's like you just get X. If you, if you engage with the adventure, you get XP, regardless of, of how things turned out. I liked, yeah. I liked that approach a lot. Yeah, I thought that, that worked really well for me. It also meant going in, it could turn into this thing where they... They go through it and they beat the bad guy at the end, but it could also be more like a movie where they're just running for their lives and they're, you know, they're not necessarily even trying to defeat anything. They just want to, they just want to escape. Do you know what I mean? It, it depends yeah. on how badly beaten they get. So like, when I first ran Heads of Waterfall Bay, that was a total party kill the first time I ran it, and <laughs> you know, and that's how I wanted. I, I was like, okay, that's good. You know, it's fine. I want that. Um, I didn't, you know, so it's that kind of adventure. It, it's it's Monster of the Week, and it's very... It's got, like, a... I don't know what I would say. Like, not a story approach, but, like, a... Um, like, a real sort of... This is the adventure. This is what we're here for. But you really don't know how it's going to unfold. And so that that was the... You know, I, and, you know, so well, I try... It's, it's anomaly investigations is the... Uh, is, I think, the term used. And it is. It's like, yeah, yeah you're investigating this thing. You're not... You, you may fight the monster and defeat them, but, you know, it, it, it just, you don't, you don't know what kind of thing you're going to do. Yeah. But, 
and and the and the scope of the the scope of the adventure could be a whole city. It could be like a manor. It could mm-hmm. be you know whatever it is. That's that's sort of that's where you would have the sandbox structure. But it's only you know it's sort of like if you if you play the game Resident Evil, the house is the sandbox, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't go wandering off beyond the at least not in the first one. You know you don't go you know wandering off beyond the parameters of the house. So like it's that same kind of structure but but within that you have a lot of choice structure that you don't resent the boundaries of the structure and that's really important yeah like going back to resident Evil, like the second one's a good example too we're not even in a house anymore you're kind of in a city yeah but there are boundaries to that city but because there's so much to do in resident evil 2 like you're like okay i'm fine with there being boundaries i want to go and fight the giant alligator yeah Yeah. (laughs) and the other cool thing is these adventures are kind of some of them are kind of linked too. like they have like there's certain threads that connect them like well, characters or whatever image you have in there too with the threads that like you literally have like threads or something connecting the different images on the oh the, that's like, that's how you, that's how to conceptualize distance in sort of like the world of sog laying is like a you know this amorphous place it's a <laughs> I, uh, I ever yeah i heard there was a, you, uh, you were really debating you know not debating but you're really questioning with me it's like should we use this image it's a great image but i don't want to make people think this is literally what the world looks yeah. like i'm like no use it yeah. use it it's great no no it, it kind of speaks to you on a on a more surreal level which i think kind of it helps your imagination to engage with it and kind of the, the logic of it a little bit better. It, yeah, because what, what it's saying is the stuff beyond those threads doesn't really matter for the purpose of what you're trying to figure out. You just know that there's the seven-day journey to where they're going to be going, and it's not yes. it's not important to, to map out all the stuff in, the, in between for, the, you know, for a Monster of the Week type adventure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Really love that. That actually guided my prep whenever I, I prepped for this because I literally had little little circles and I wrote down what I wanted to happen in the circle. Mm-hmm. And they were they were linked to areas and then I just had lines between them with, with time signatures. Mm-hmm. And what I found was it gave me a lot of the same kind of choices you would make like in a dungeon crawl, but it was it was like more open, like like mentally the players engage with it like a living area, like a hex crawl. So I really got the best of both worlds there, and a lot of that was informed by that image. Okay. So, like, it's interesting you used because you use you, your text describes that, but also seeing that image like really kind of helps it like click. Yeah, I know, and that so. image was done by Francesca Burrell too, who did all the maps in the book. So that was you know, a, a, it was in in other hands it might have <laughs> been a total chaotic mess, but she 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 managed to convey it really well. Um, so yeah, so. So yeah, I don't know. I, also, we we did we play tested these adventures a lot. Like I think that's something that, uh, um, you know, like Adam, like how if I feel like there was a point where it was just we were constantly play testing and revising, and, you know, like just a. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah this was a challenge just because we did so much revision. It was like as an editor, it's good to have like some distance on the text, and it, like by the end, it was it was becoming difficult because I'm like, oh, I've gone. I'm so familiar with the yeah. text now. It's actually getting a little, a little harder to be objective. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the end, but it was it was worth it. The pro- I, I'm really, I'm just happier with this than anything I've worked on so far, as far as a complete project. So I'm very happy. God, it's beautiful. Like it really is a beautiful text. I cannot wait for this to be a paperback now. Like maybe that's a little bit gushy, but holy hell, it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, no, no, I, I, this is the close, like, this is 
whenever you make a, a game, like you imagine what it's going to look like. And this is the one that's the closest to what I was imagining <laughs> in my mind, you know? So like, you know, normally there's a little bit of a distance between, you know, what, because you're giving people directions. Do you know what I mean? And it's going to be different, but this one, I think, um, everything just came hard. together. And so, what was that? Even the margin art is gorgeous. I was going, I'm just, I've got a copy of it open while we're talking. And like, I, I just got to the choose your path section where it's got the four heroes mm-hmm. and then immediately it goes into like how to make them. And like the margin art caught my eye. And even that is fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Just, I mean, after, after two years of, of working with that word file too, the first time you sent me the laid out one, I was like, Oh my God, it's actually a book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's strange, <laughs> isn't it? That, that, that is. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I, I have another question uh, concerning the classes. I see there is there's four classes, and like everyone that I've showed this game to loves the choices. What led to these four particular choices? Like, did you have a, a bigger list you narrowed down? Um, did they go out carve these out of stone? Like, I how think did this go out? I think we always had four. I, there might have been at one point where we were toying with a fifth, but I can't remember. I know. There were also points when it was being debated whether the demon hunter and the ritual master should be unified into one thing. Mm. Um, but, I mean, it really just came out of the sorts of things you expect from movies inspired by uh, by Pooh Songling. And also, what's gameable? I think you have to have both. You have to have the gameable and you have to have the source material there. And if you don't have, if you don't have gameable stuff, then it can be really difficult. So, like, the the crucial one was getting the scholar right and that was the one that got the most change over the course of development because when we started it it was way underpowered it didn't and it was really hard to power up because none of his stuff is combat so it was like this really slow process of what can we add here or there what can we tweak that'll make him actually fun and engaging even though he's not really meant to you know to hack monsters to death or anything. So, uh, so what, what was the original draft of him versus what he does now? Like, tell me about that I, process of evolving him. I don't. I don't remember exactly because it, I mean, it, you know, like a, I, I don't even know if I have copies of the original draft of him. I've been um, working on this over a couple of years, so it's like some of the stuff. Yeah, but specific but, detail. But I mean, like, just give me some general idea. So I'm pretty sure, like, frantic research was something that came up as a result of people being like, "I don't have that was enough." Later edition. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that that was one of the things. Um, oh man, that's a good one too. Yeah, it basically kind of gives you insight into the monster. Because you're like tearing through your text right there while it's barreling down on you, and your warrior friends defending it. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That's that. Great. Yeah. That. It's, that. It's, it's very it's genre genre accurate too. Yeah. Exactly. It's literally something you'll see in movies, so it works. And and I think um, I think acute observation and character observation were also additions, and stuff like um, what is it the uh, the, the the ability to flee. I think we tweaked how that worked a lot. And I think the same thing, even with frantic research, when that was first introduced, I think it operated a lot differently and then we refined it. So a lot of it was just about giving the uh, the scholar the right abilities and then refining those abilities as time went on. Yeah, um, I think the first time I ran it, it was I, the scholar, acute observation was there by then. It was, it was just acute observation and having a big chunk of money 
for all the scholar had for them, which wasn't bad, but it just not terrible. But this not only here's the thing I love about the scholar. There's three things that strike me about it immediately. First of all, there's a lot here. And it's all on one page. Super concise. I love that. Just from a layout perspective, that's gorgeous. The second thing is the 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 wealth of different abilities give him a lot of character and options in combat. So you're not just sitting there getting your ass kicked. But the most important thing in my estimation is the word choice. Like listen to Flea. Scholars are particularly adept at realizing they are in danger and saving their own hide. I love it. How characterful, you know? You immediately get a sense of the kind of character you're going to play with the scholar with wording like that. Mm, yeah, that was one of man. that was one of my favorite abilities because I could I could instantly picture like in the movies and stuff these scholars <laughs> kind of like like I'm pretty sure there's a scene in Chinese ghost story where something like this happens where the scholars slinking away from the danger rather than confronting it, you know? And and I like the idea of the scholar being the one who's sort of aware of the danger before anybody else is. So that that's they're a good able, yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, can, you can have the monster show up when they're on their own and have yeah. him still get away. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah. And it's also kind of got like a bit of a Doctor Who-ish quality to it where it's like, <laughs> it's it. I don't know, the non-combat guy has these abilities that actually have an effect. Do you know what I mean? That are uh, mm. That'll make the character survivable. Uh, so... So that was, you know, that was that was one. I think the other one that got okay. Here's another one that got big change. Ritual Master got a lot of changes. Uh, you know, the 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 wound decrease was originally set much lower. It was originally set at like fifth level or something. Um, and and too many people thought that was far too punitive. So I I over time I reluctantly advanced it up so it was higher yeah Yeah. i still kind of think it should be at five but i got such a reaction to that that i you know sometimes there are things where you're like okay i don't agree with everybody but i recognize that i'm getting this volume of a reaction so i'm gonna make the adjustment i I changed Uh, rules in in tian shang for the same reason like i changed initiative i think pretty significantly and i'm gonna be changing wounds too just because the feedback is like okay i misfired there they're not all well well, here's what i'll say it's people are gonna house rule it you might as well make it the main it's (laughs) it's not it's not a misfire it's just that your preferences are probably set slightly differently than a lot of you know what i mean like um like if i if i like if i were to run this the way i want to run it i might actually slide that up to five do you know what i mean like yeah yeah yeah. and you can still do that you're allowed to house rule your own game yeah there you go yeah (laughs) the same thing the proper way is at five real men do it that way well it's no it's you know what it was the reasoning was the scholar Somebody no the the wandering sword I think gets the max wound increase at six and I wanted the scholar to mirror that and get the decrease at six that was how it was originally mm. set um, and I like the idea of the scholar being physically affected by the magic that they're using do you know what I mean oh, the ritual I mean not the yeah I'm sorry the ritual master the ritual master um, yeah. I like the idea of them being affected by the 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 magic that they're using. Uh, putting it up at ninth level there's only it's like you just briefly get to experience that you don't get the full effect of it so that was sort of my that's why i liked it being lower but but i think enough people that played the ritual master were sick of dying with just one wound that you know it's it like okay this yeah. isn't having the the flavor effect that i wanted to have on them so uh I may decrease it from three to two instead of two to one or something like that i, I think that 
there's something to be said for the margins of errors that you are allowed as a character because like you can go very glass cannon with it. Well, that's the thing. Everybody, the baseline in this game is two, which is important. It needs to be two. That's definitely like the correct number, but yeah. um, uh, but that only gives you one increment to go down. So without yeah, so killing you don't the character, have much play there. Yeah, yeah. If if the correct number had turned out to be three, and it's so weird, but I know what you're saying there because sometimes the correct number emerges as you play, and you're like, yeah. oh, okay, that's what it is. You have to design that. Yeah. Thanks. And it doesn't look neat. It's not like it doesn't feel like it has as much of a nice bow around it as if it mm. was the where you put it. Where it's oh, it's six and six and they match. Do you know what I mean? But like yeah. you can't always get it that way. So, but th- but definitely, I think the thing is like this was definitely like a part partly because it was a simple game and it it has only the four paths. It's got like a page and a half to two pages of rules. It was really easy to play test everything thoroughly. You know. Granted, there are pages on powers and stuff too, so there were those to play test. But it wasn't like the level with Ogre Gate, where it's like, you know, you play test it for six months, and you're 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 just getting like slivers of the game here and there each time. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm running into that with with uh, Lone Wolf Fist because of the amount of powers that are in it. But like, everything in this has so much polish. It's just beautiful. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we filed off a lot of the rough edges on this one for sure. Um, and uh, sorry, we got to page nine where it's got the 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 drawing of the hand rolling dice. It's a skeletal monster hand. Oh, I, you know it's funny that one. I I actually added that in because I was originally just going to reuse the one from Ogregate and pay Jackie like like I would pay her a set rate to reuse images. Say, oh, right. but I was like, well. I don't know that one looks like ogre. The more I looked at it, I was like, "That's just is too ogre gate." Like, I need a new one, and I need one that's got like a darker feel. I want the dice to even be darker and stuff, you know, like a like. Uh, and so she did, you know, she made everything like just darker and more menacing, and it looks. I think it looks good. Uh, it looks, you know, really kind of, uh, you know, it's a minor thing, but like one of the things I hear a lot is people will do reviews and they'll get the way dice work in the game completely wrong. And so I want I want to make absolutely clear how the dice work in this game visually. So uh, I think yeah. The once I started doing that, I think I started doing it with. I think it was Ogre Gate. I might have started doing it with Satorius. People really got the dice rolling way better once we added in that visual image. Um, yeah, well, I like I like I mean I know the dice mechanic isn't new to this game, but it's the it's it is kind of the network system. But I, I really like the network system because it's so simple, but at the same time the probability rates on it work out so well. It's yeah. just you wouldn't think you wouldn't think unless you've actually done the math, you're like, okay, well this is easy, but you look at the math too, and it, it just it just works on both counts. Yeah, it does. And actually, when we first did it, we had Dan crunch all the numbers and put That's them in the back of the book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah God, I'm having to do something similar with, with my games, too. And, like, well, it's a dice matching system, so the, the math is insane. <laughs> like, well, well, actually, one of the things I like about your game is that it has a ton in common uh, with uh, my favorite version of the World of Darkness, which is the Blue Book or New World of Darkness. Uh, like, the dice are very similar. You use the same kind of dice. You still use pools. But, like, I got I think I like yours more just because there's less to worry about. Like it kind of gives you whole packages whereas in Wad you would have to kind of build up your die pool. There's a lot of weird corner cases in Wad too. It yeah. doesn't have a lot. Of that. You well, know, it's all very concise and polished. The the, the the dice system is 
largely Bill's doing. Bill was the one who really made the dice system. You know, I had input, but, but like I was allowed complete freedom when it came to flavor. But Bill was really the mechanic guy, and Bill, uh, at least when we first started, and Bill said he. I said I wanted to do D10 dice pools, and he said he would do it if we could do like sleek. D10 dice pool. So the idea was a sleek D10 dice pool that doesn't have mm-hmm. a lot of the problems that you were talking about there. Um, and so I feel like I feel like it works. Not a lot of people know about it, which is the problem. And a lot of people will see the dice pool and they'll assume things because it's yeah. a D10 dice pool. But it really is like a fast. If you, especially if you play it in a version like this, or if you play it in the early network games, less so in Sartorius and Ogreate because those games have so much added weight you don't necessarily get that same you don't you don't see that right away because there's so much else to, to juggle but if you play like Terra Network or you play this you see how quickly the game runs with the dice oh, yeah. system oh, I, I mean, that's one thing I like though it's like it can work for a gritty realistic system like Terra Network yeah. it works for for wandering heroes which is is a high powered game and it works for this game and it just it just it's it's a very flexible system being able to handle all, all, you know, all those different games. Yeah, and you get your results so immediately. It's very similar to like rolling an attack throw in D and D, and that like you just kind of roll and you just get the result really quickly. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of filtering. Like White Wolf is a bad habit of filtering rolls through rolls. This doesn't do that. It's like yeah, no, it's not a, There's no mini game with the rolls. <laughs> you know, there's no addition. You know, you're not. You're never doing anything like playing poker with the dice rolls or anything. But like, but p- again, yeah. the downside is people see dice pool and they assume that. And uh, one of the things I haven't done a good job of is is explaining the di- the how the dice system works to people at the front end of a lot of these conversations and stuff, so that people know it's not it, you know the the, di- the dice. It, it really is a very sleek D10 system. Uh, yeah, if you no, give it a no chance. Mini game thing too. It's like something I've come to realize as a GM is I don't like mini games because mini games are a game you play over and over and over again. And yeah. if you get sick of that mini game, you're sick of the game. It's like it, it's just it's just a danger you can have in your system sometimes where you create this thing that's going to become tiresome over time. It's like yeah. I want I want resolution systems yeah. is kind of what I want. You know, let's resolve this and let's. I think, the game. I think if you're going to have mini games, the best place to have them is like in corners of the game where they won't come up yes. that much. Like the Taroka yes. deck in, in, in Ravenloft. You know, there's like a, there's a bit of a mini game aspect to it, but it's, it's, it's special when it arises. So it's okay. Um, yeah. Like you've got a mass battle mini game. That's cool because not every fight's going to be a mass battle. So yeah. it makes mass battles feel special, but yeah, that's that, that, that's a good point. But like the, the the everyday rolling that you do, you don't. I, I don't want to have that be a mini game. I know some people do like no, that, but uh, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name this. But there's a current system right now where it's like every roll is this process, and it's like I just want to do this one thing. I'm just you know, and it's like it's like it do, it feels it feels like the mechanical weight of each resolution is heavier than each action is actually going to be so that that's a big thing yeah that well that that's sort of that's one of the reasons why when um like you remember when the transition to 3e happened and there was a lot more of a shift to the grid and you kind of got it in 4e too but one of the one of the issues that i had with that was you suddenly slowed down everything like everything slowed down when combat happened and it was sort of like wait a second like this is only supposed to be taking 10 seconds 
in the game world, but like we're devoting all this time to yeah, it would you know, take hours sometimes yeah. for very well, simple conflict. Yeah, not yeah. fun. No, I know. I put yeah with Mold Bay. I went back and played Mold Bay after playing Third Edition, and and it, and I remember during Third Edition, as the, as the game line went on with Third Edition, Dragon Magazine started putting out these articles talking about the three room dungeon, like the yeah. ideal dungeon was only three rooms. <laughs> yeah, because that was really all the time you had in a night, like yeah. all three fights. That's it, that's, that's three hours session right there. You go into exactly. a room. There's five goblins. We'll be here for an hour. Yeah, and then. You know, basically, I broke out Mold Bay on a whim. It's like I got a box of stuff my parents sent me from, you know, they were they didn't want around the house anymore. I'm like, hey, it's my old Mold Bay set. Let's play this. And we did an entire, you know, like 30-room dungeon in one night. And I was like, wow, this this is what D&D is yeah. supposed to be. You actually have time to explore. The focus is on the process of moving around the dungeon because the fight's just happen you just well, the do fight, them and you keep going. they're they're really quick and brutal yeah it's ideal and actually that's that's sort of how it works in this system too like mm-hmm. we actually in in the playtest that you and i did brennan and i were you on that one too adam i feel like you were i feel like it was like it was you it was me someone else as the good guys and then we had someone playing as as the bad guy wait the playtest for what for this game uh, I played into this with Brendan at one point. I, I oh, is that when we were playtesting uh, the monster versus the monster? Yeah, yeah. One? Oh, yes, yes. yes I do remember, remember that, that now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so just some backstory. We, the, the playtest for this went on so long that it, I started getting <laughs> bored with just running regular adventures, and I started in just in because I wanted to run through. I wanted to really playtest the monster section thoroughly, and I realized I'm only getting like a quarter of what I could get if I just had everybody play monsters and stuff. So I started doing mo- having players do monster versus monster just so I could check all the entries in terms of people using all of the monster abilities and seeing how they all work and if there's any wording that's wrong and all that stuff. And and it turned out to be kind of fun. So we did a bunch yeah. of them. Super and uh, fun. yeah. And that that combat went on for a while, but it every single role in that combat felt like a life or death situation and I used real ingenuity and creativity with each and every action I took and it was super satisfying to play out even though no individual role was more complex than just rolling a d20 it was fantastic man speaking of which one of the reasons of that and I just got to the power section as I was flipping through is that each and every one of these powers is no more than a paragraph long they're so concise yeah I I learned my lesson from Ogre Gate I learned to like really pared down. Because one thing I noticed with Ogre Gate is the powers that had the shortest entries were almost all, invariably the best in terms of connecting the flavor to the mechanic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The longer the description went on, the more there seemed to be deviation, except in a few key cases where there was maybe a complex concept in there that you, you had to describe in a long... But but the power the powers that were allowed to just kind of bloviate for a long time tended to have the just less connective tissue between flavor and mechanics. And so they did. Um, and you also do something super clever here, which is you link the name. You have very evocative names and directly link them to the function of the power so that you can tell at a glance, do I want this as a character? Mm-hmm. Also, there's this really cool picture for exploding talisman that I can't stress enough. It's just amazingly entertaining to look at. <laughs> yeah, those a lot of a lot of the talisman stuff was um I mean a lot of it came from different movies and different stories in Pusong Ling, but some of the big ones were like the um, uh, 
what was it? There was a uh, Encounters of a Spooky Kind. I think was one of the one of the big one of the big movies that had a had a, had a large effect on you know some of the magic that's you know involves talismans there were a few other movies like that because i wanted to get like the there are a lot of these movies that they have where they have like these these spiritual battles between ritual masters or between you know like taoist priests and i wanted to i wanted to be able to do that in the game i wanted to make sure that you could do that um but yeah no there's a there's a lot of different you know so there's the powers in the game are uh the the wandering sword has like kung fu essentially the the ritual master has these powerful rituals that are usually a little bit on the evil side and the the demon hunter has stuff that is more um geared for fighting supernatural enemies and stuff so um such good niches too because like each one of those things is fun to play they all they'll have their own kind of particular flavor and appeal and function that's really great that they're defined that nicely no i thought it all worked really well i mean it, it came out in the play testing i think um i really wish i had charted how all this developed because i i want to i want to go <laughs> back and see I, I feel like there were now that i'm thinking about it i feel like there were more tweaks to the number of classes from when we started i can't remember exactly how those changes went down but i you know what let, let me see maybe i can find an older version of an older document if i still have one in the uh in my in my strange tales folder it's it's unlikely but if i do um but yeah talking about the art while he looks that up i mean he was always sending me art that jackie was doing throughout the process but when he when i got the final layout i saw just how much art there was that he'd never sent me i'm like whoa this i was it was it was just exciting coming across like the exploding talisman one i never i never saw that one until the uh the layout version was in my hands like on the very next page, it's got the little blades, big fish thing. That <laughs> one I'd seen huh. before. I yeah. want to put that on my wall, dude. That's gorgeous. I know Jackie's art's great. No, Jackie yeah. did a really good job, and like what she's also good too is, uh, I kind of told her like this is, like I gave her a concept of how I wanted the book to feel compared to some of the other books, and she's really good at seeing that concept through all of the images, so everything feels kind of connected. Do you know what I mean? Um, so this was this one comes on the heels of House of Paper Shadows and House of Paper Shadows was kind of like I don't know sort of like body horror and like you, you know just sort of like the, the fragility of the human body was kind of like a theme in that book and so this one is sort of like the decay do you know what I mean just like the decline the deterioration of things and so you know she, I thought she did a really good job with that just just in terms it's not even that important in terms of the content of the book it just is like a great way to kind of get images to to align with each other do you know what i mean yeah there um, is such a unity of of like tone in the art in this book it's a beautiful read man and, and considering the variety of like monsters and the different kind of subjects and little action scenes and vignettes having that kind of visual unity is it's, it's a masterpiece it's really gorgeous yeah, she did a wonderful job. Her and and Francesca both did really tremendous jobs. Also, I got a lot like when you go to those maps. Like I'm looking at the Songbird Vila map. I got a lot of help from Professor Juman, who wrote Crossing the Gate. It's a book about women in uh, in Song Dynasty China, and 
it really uses like architecture as like a way of understanding the history. It, it's a very interesting book and I encourage people to read it, but she was really, you know, like open to, you know, like me asking her questions and stuff like this. And so when I was working on that map, I would send it to her and I'd be like, does this look right? And she'd be like, no, like you have to have a shadow wall here and you have to have the, she would like tell me all the stuff that the, the, the map would need. And it's still not a hundred percent perfect because like I'm, I'm still doing like the work, but like I got so much feedback from her that it really corrected a lot of the stuff that wasn't accurate or wasn't, you know, and again, this is, I don't want to give the wrong impression. This game is not like a historically realistic game, but I wanted a lot of the architecture stuff to be as plausible as it could be. Um, so not only plausible, but again, imminently gameable. Cause like you mentioned house of vapor shadows, you could compare the usability of that map, which was a gem of maps to the usability of these too. Because I remember like, Whenever you were running, you gave us that nice map uh, to check out, and we were very easily able just to kind of sight navigate it, not even looking at the key, but just looking at the actual art that was in front of us, and just it, we could easily link like uh, a neighborhood or or a, a structure to its function very cleanly. It was incredibly easy to use, uh, and I get it, it really enhanced the game. It felt a lot more like uh, an investigation because we had something to kind of like a sort of way to make it into a terrain for us. Yeah, I think I think the maps do a really great job of making like the the adventures really work because of the because of the maps, do you know what I mean? Like the, those maps, like Saffron Creek, like that map really kind of it it just gives you a sense of of the location. Um and before I had that, I had a handwritten version of the map that I did which just didn't, con- you know, it's same information, but it just didn't convey it in the same way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's that a, it's tough. Yeah. These are almost like levels in a video game. Like, they almost have, like, that level of usability and polish. Really gorgeous things. Yeah, I, I wish I could do more than just tell people about it, because, like, man, they've got to see these maps. I know, I, I felt the same way running it. That's the, the only, it's not even really a downside. You're like, I want to show you the map, you know, but it's, there's a big, huge secret here on the map I can't show you, so never mind. Yeah, what I, what, I, what I would do is I would, like, clip out sections of the map and show them to people, do you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. I, would, I would cut and paste different sections that maybe only had the numbers, but not the key, or things like that. The, the numbers can also kind of be giveaway, but, uh, but yeah, that that was a uh, that that's always the difficult. You can always do the thing where you make the player map and you make the uh, the the GM map, which we did for House of Paper Shadows. But that's also like that's a lot more labor intensive for the yeah. artist. So yeah, and it takes that ta- that took a lot of planning. Like that seems like a minor thing, but when we did that for House of Paper Shadows, it took so much planning. I didn't. I didn't want to do that again for the, uh, you know, for another book, especially for four different maps. It seemed like that would be really no, difficult. Ultimately, ultimately, all that's important is the GM gets the the space in their head so they can describe it to the players. So it's it's really all you need. You don't yeah. need the uh, player map. Yeah. So I don't know, but my uh, I know that uh, I would. Uh, it's it. It would be interesting to see, you know, how different people respond to the different adventures. I I think. I think my favorite adventures in the book right now are still The Judge from Hell and Heads of Waterfall Bay. I think those are my two favorite at the moment. Yeah, that's that's uh, one that we played was Heads of Waterfall Bay. Yeah, I yeah. love Heads of Waterfall Bay. Number one, I love it because 
It's kind of like a vague reference to Danger Bay in some way, like that old show on the Disney Channel, like the title of the name of the of the place. Like it, it's not it's not intentionally that way, but like it it it's sort of like it's like a misleading title because it sounds like it's like a it gets your brain thinking one way, and then it, you know it's a completely different thing. But yeah, there's there's the, a really fun NPC to run in that one too. I uh, and who I who I I who I, I have a sense of. The character from a movie too, but uh, I really, I really had fun with the NPC. Well, that one, that one is definitely inspired by Human Lanterns, which you and I both reviewed. (laughs) Uh, Joel, did you ever go over that one with me? Human Lanterns? I did not. It sounds amazing. We'll have to do that one at one point. Human Lanterns is, um, it's just a masterpiece of like wuxia and horror blended together. It's a, it's a really great film, and it's got one of the best happy to be evil villains in exactly in, you know it's just and 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 and, and so getting to getting to play him in the waterfall yeah adventure when i ran it i was just like oh this guy's I, i'm yeah. having fun messing with yeah, the players it, here it's it's one you and know, it's one of the adventures where I, right what was that is the the fun of this game there are so many little elements like that so many little gems that it's just a delight like it's fun to do certain things it's fun to play certain classes mm-hmm. the fun of this Mm-hmm. Can't understate it. It really is fun. Yeah, I, I thought, I thought, I thought that Heads of Waterfall Bay, like, like you said, like it's based on that. It obviously has other things in it, so it goes in a totally different direction. But like kernels, like that guy, are definite. Those are like things that are, you know, <laughs> uh, that, and that's why I tell people to to watch the movie if they can before they run it because I feel like that's the kind of adventure that would benefit a lot from. What if you know that character, you'll have a very clear idea of how to run a person like that in a game like this. Um, and then the Judge from Hell kind of takes some of its inspiration, not all of it by any stretch, but some of it from that movie Heaven and Hell that we also uh, yeah. did on the show. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, it would be helpful to watch Heaven and Hell too, but uh, for that one. But yeah, I mean that it's. I mean that's the thing. I mean there's there's. There's a lot, like there's there's a lot, but not too much going on at these adventures, so that the players do they 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 have a lot of time exploring. You don't know exactly what they're gonna do, and I like that. When I run a game, I wanna I wanna have the players have a little bit of an opportunity to go around in directions I don't expect and react to them. And I got that with these adventures. Yeah, and the and the adventures take what do they take up like? Um, so from page seventy-eight to one forty-nine is the adventures of the book. That's like the mm-hmm. like almost half of the book is adventure. Not well, my math's pretty bad, but but you know, <laughs> it, but a good chunk of the book, a good chunk of the book is um. Uh, it, it is a lot. But there's yeah. the thing, like even if you don't use the adventures as written, like there's so much there that it feels like it doesn't feel like redundant content. You know, a lot of times people put a really shoddy adventure in a book and it feels like, Oh, thank you. I hate it. Not these. Like in addition to being amazing adventures, like each one of them, you have a reason to play it. And this is something different than all the other adventures. They have so much in them. In addition to that, that it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I think, I think because the, because the core original, horror investigation is call of cthulhu which is famous for its adventures it's like there's a high bar when you make a game like this it's like you have to you have to have good adventures i think for this this you know overall genre of horror investigation yeah people just expect that 
No, and I think I think I mean again, I think the play testing really helped turn them into solid solid adventures. Uh, also, mm-hmm. the fact that you know, like we've done, we've you know, I, I feel like I was able to take a lot of the lessons from other books and and the process was just a little bit more streamlined by this point by the time I got to doing these ones um, so so yeah so we've been going on for like 50 minutes so I think I'll end it here unless you guys want to add anything um, and just a reminder it's available at drive through you know buy it talk about it if you like it you know review it you know written reviews help a lot the star reviews help too but the big ones that really help get a book out there the written reviews talking about it online on different platforms like forums and twitter and all that is a huge boost um so you know if, if you like the game and you want us to put more out that's all going to ride on how well the game does so uh, it's, it's a beautiful game like it's well worth your 9.99 <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, when I was when I was putting it up, I realized I should be setting this at 12.99 if I was smart because like and again, just for people who don't know, the algorithm for the bestseller thing is uh based on the amount that a book makes. It's not based on the numbers that they sell. So, you, you know, if and if you look at that bestseller list, the upper tier is taken up by books that are like over $15, I think. Yeah. And so, there's some like Exalted Third Edition that are ridiculously expensive and don't give you anywhere near the quality of content this book has. But they were platinum because they were so expensive. Well, and the the thing is, the thing is, when I when I was putting this up, I was like, you know, I I like part of me was like, I should put this at twelve ninety nine because that'll boost us up a little bit on the thing. But and I was like, all of our core books are nine ninety nine. I want to keep it at nine ninety nine. You know, um, but the thing is, I did pay the price for that because, like as you saw, we got up to twelve. Um, and we probably would have gotten, based on the number of books we sold, I think we would have gotten into the top ten, uh, just because we were only too shy. And you know that two bucks would have made, uh, actually, three bucks would have made a big difference. Um, so, uh, and I don't think that those three dollars would have deterred people from buying it either. That's the thing, because it's not like, yeah. So. so, but I think it was still better to set it at ninety nine. But the the downside of that is we kind of have to ask people to spread the word a little more, and we can't rely on the the top ten list as much. So, um, so yeah. So again, check it out, and to all the people that have you know spoken well of it, thank you. And you know we'll be back on you know another time with with updates on this line if it uh, if it turns out to be something that we can. Uh, you know, put more resources into making material for. We have some ideas, but uh, it's going to very much depend on how well it does.